Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I'm your host, Stephen Pinecker, and I have a return guest. Now, for many of you, you may not know him because my audience has exploded since the last time he's been on. But he, my friend here, his name is Chris Jensen, and he wrote the book, Obscure Mormon Doctrine, Uncommon Beliefs of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And what this is, what makes this book so unique, it's actually kind of like uh, alphabetized by chapter, different topics that are obscure in the sense that maybe they're obscure within the world of Mormonism, maybe they're doctrines that used to be taught, they're not taught anymore, or they're also obscure in the context of the greater Christian world. I found Christopher, uh, I guess it's been about over a year now, on Reddit, and I communicated to him, and I said, this sounds like a very interesting book, and I read the book, and I thought it was fascinating, it was very well written, and uh, and I'm just glad, because we're doing this irregular series where you're just going to, I'm not really knowing what you're going to talk about, you're going to pick out a chapter from your book, <laughs> we're going to talk about for 20 minutes, which we've done the same thing, of course, with Brent Ashworth, Nathan Smith, uh, and others. Uh, uh, Chris is part of that rotation where we do these quick 20-minute uh Tangents, 20-minute tangents on Tuesdays, typically, but maybe not Tuesday. I don't know. Maybe this week could be a That's got a ring to it. Yes, it does. So, Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, You've done done a lot for me and for the book, so I appreciate it. Yeah, that's awesome. I love helping authors, and I hear that from authors all the time, so that's great. I'm glad we were able to make this book a uh, kind of one of those things where just people keep on buying them and commenting back, and a lot of faithful Mormons appreciate the work that you're doing, and that's what's so great. So what today for our special segment what chapter are we going to be discussing in obscure well i thought we would talk about polygamy okay and i have to look at the book to know which chapter that is but you know to to reiterate what you said it's it's alphabetical and so chapter 29 in the book which is about where you would expect p to fall Mm -hmm. is uh polygamy and I kind of want to preface um, what I say with with a little bit of an explanation because I, I, I do get comments or in, in reviews that I read that sometimes mention the fact that or mention the opinion that the book is not uh, obscure, you know, that it's that it's just standard doctrine. And I I did struggle with the title, whether I should call it unique Mormon doctrine or original Mormon doctrine or something like that. But I, I ended up choosing obscure because I thought it was a little bit little bit punchier, a little bit catchier. And it's true that you know, polygamy, it's probably the one thing almost any non LDS member knows about the church. <laughs> You know, and and of course they have a lot of misconceptions about polygamy when it comes to the LDS church, and so it's not of itself obscure. But this is a very good example. This discussion today is a very good example of why I decided to call it obscure Mormon doctrine because um, I give a ba- you know I, I provide a, a foundation or a background to the doctrine so that non Mormon readers understand the background and to it to an LDS member that would not be obscure but then I dig deeper into what the implications are and how it really works in in reality and that's where it starts to become obscure or at least 
lesser known, even to LDS members. And so I, who grew up in the church and, and who served a mission, the, the things I talked about today, I didn't know. And I think a lot of LDS members will, will learn something from this interview about polygamy. And of course, non-LDS members will learn even more. Okay, great. So I'll just, I'll just, I'll just start and then you can stop me whenever you want. But, you know, as, as most people know, but like I said, many people don't, polygamy was practiced in the early church, but then it was banned in 1890. And so it has been banned by the mainstream LDS church for a very long time. And the question that I want to talk about today was, well, where does that actually leave the church and, and the doctrine today? Is it just banned? Does it never happen? Is it no longer doctrine? And the first thing I want to point out is that it is still official church doctrine. Um, you know, nobody really just comes out and says that, but I, but I would venture to guess virtually any LDS member would, if you, if you press them, they would say, yeah, it's probably still official church doctrine, but suspended. And whether it's suspended forever or for now, nobody knows. That's my position. Um, section 132 in the in the Doctrine and Covenants, which talks about it, um, is still part of the Doctrine and Covenants. It has not been removed, which I think is important. And that's so it's still present in current LDS scripture. And I would say most members. If you again, if you ask them, they would say, well, eternally, there's a pretty good chance that polygamy will be resumed. It's something uh, for obvious reasons people don't want to talk about, especially especially women. <laughs> but, you know, that that's the fact that it's there. It's currently banned, you know, and, and the church finesses the point. And a very good example of how the church finesses the point, and I talk about it in the book, is this, you know, a very authoritative source of doctrine, gospel topics essays that were, that were put out by the leadership of the church to, to um, confront controversial points of doctrine and get ahead of, you know, get ahead of the discussion. And there's a quote in there. In, in the one on called Plural Marriage in Kirtland, Kirtland and Nauvoo. And there's a quote in there that I quote that it says, Latter-day Saints believe that monogamy, the marriage of one man and one woman, is the Lord's, and then I emphasize, standing law of marriage, which means current. Mm. You know, it obviously wasn't the Lord's law of marriage previously in the church and it could very well not be in the future but the main thing i want to talk about in this interview is how polygamy is actually still practiced in the mainstream lds church in two ways um first of all via death and it gets a little bit complicated i hope i don't get it wrong i you know uh but 
if I do get it wrong, it's it's right in the book. <laughs> and you have to look at how it works for a man and how it works for a woman because it it's it's not the same. So if a man loses a wife that he has been sealed to, meaning married in the temple for time and all eternity, he can still be sealed to another woman. And a good example of that is the current president, Russell M. Nielsen. You know, he's sealed to, to two women for eternity, in other words, polygamy. But not now, you know, e eternal polygamy. For a woman, on the other hand, um, she could not be sealed to another man if her current husband, who she's sealed to, dies. She could not be sealed a second time while alive. And interestingly, that was always the rule. Even after she died, she could never be sealed to another man. But now, starting in 1998, um, the church allowed women to be sealed to more than one of her husbands after they have all died. Which raises the question, okay, this is polyandry. Will there be polyandry, a woman married to more than one man, in the eternities? And, of course, we could talk about this forever, how it's all going to work out. You know, if you if you know anything about the, 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 the plan of salvation, I mean, I know you do. You know, people living sealed together as a family for eternity. How does it work out if you've got two husbands, three husbands, two wives, three wives? And again, in Gospel Topics essays, they, they say something interesting. They say, quote, the precise nature of these relationships in the next life is unknown, and many family relationships will be sorted out in the life to come. Latter-day Saints are encouraged to trust in our wise Heavenly Father who loves his children and does all things for their growth and salvation. And so, you know, you kind of just have to forget about how it's all going to play out in the eternities and trust that God will, will be fair. Hmm. Interesting. If you believe all this. Right. And well, that's what's so fascinating. This is what I love about the cosmology of Mormonism. It's... It, the advantage that Mormonism has over uh, a lot of tradi traditional mainstream Christianity is that it it provides us a narrative that goes way back in deep past the preexistence, but then it then it tells us about our story here, our mortal existence, and then it continues the journey forward into the future into deep time, and it and it can so it allows it opens up the theological uh your your he. Joseph Smith opened up something that has caused people to have these fascinating conversations. And see, there is things that people don't realize, but there are hints of some of this theology that's pre, that predates Joseph. Like Origen himself believed in a pre-existence, right? So there's so Joseph isn't just necessarily, this isn't stuff that's just coming out of nowhere. These are ideas that have been discussed within Christianity for a very long time. Where did we exist before? What does the future, what does eternity look like? And the audacity of Mormonism is that it chose, it, it, it actually answered those questions. And and so now well, it and, Yeah, and it answered those questions in great detail. 
Yes. Which is a which is a very unusual position for for a church to take. And that's something I really, really respect about the doctrine. And that's one thing that made writing the book so fascinating is you can talk about these things because they have real, real life implications. I mean, in my case, I'm just one example. I was married in the LDS in the Salt Lake Temple. You know, and and then we got divorced. And so that that's sort of a segue into, you know, so these have a lot of real, real, real life, real world implications for people. Is it true? If it, if it is true, how does it work? How does it affect me? Not only now, but but forever. We're talking about eternity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's nothing more important. Um, and so the other way polygamy is still potentially practiced and it is practiced in the church not while you're alive, but, um, well, I mean, if you're looking at a, at a temple marriage, even while you're alive. So if you're a man and you're sealed to a woman, like I was in a temple, and then you get a civil divorce, not a temple divorce, then that man can be sealed to another woman who he, who he marries. And and they would both be alive, and he would be sealed to to those two or more women for eternity. Um, if he doesn't want to be sealed to that first wife, he can he can request a cancellation of the sealing, which some people call a temple divorce. But those cancellations are generally hard to obtain. And are not routinely granted by the church, um, if it's especially if it's the man asking. And I'll get to that in a minute. You know that if if it's the woman asking, it's it's easier to get it. Um, and so you wonder, uh, you know, what it would be like uh, for a divorced couple to remain sealed to each other for eternity. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think about me. And I'm still sealed to my ex-wife. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it was interesting. And this is this is what's so fascinating is that in my world, it's it's I talk to so many different people. And yesterday I live in a Christian community and I had one of my favorite Mormon fundamentalists that I've had uh, that I've gotten to know. Okay, let's just say I don't want to give too many details other than it's something I know. Okay. And, uh, and they credit me, and he's here with his wife on their honeymoon, and credits my podcast for bringing them together in marriage. Now, this is okay. Uh, pretty wild stuff. But what was so fascinating is as I was having these conversations with them, and they were telling us about their past, and they had previous marriages, he's divorced, all this kind of stuff, is... Um, how many people who decided to practice the principle were still members of the mainline Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when they made the decision they're going to practice the principle? They did not leave yeah. the church. And as a matter of fact, I'm told with my connections in the polygamous community, there are many, many of uh, these groups that have regular members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints also attend their services. So what's so fascinating is that, you know, a lot of people would think that, oh, it's just these fundamentalists and people don't realize that there's many, many people that also uh, appear to be uh, at least sympathetic to the practice and perhaps are considering uh, doing it and others 
who have, and then maybe many of them eventually do end up leaving or get excommunicated and they practice the principle that way. So that's the key thing. Like you said, a long time ago, 1890, but yet in many ways, it's still, it's probably being practiced on a larger, on a larger, there's probably more people as a percentage of people in Utah practicing polygamy now than it did in the 19th century. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we have to be very careful here that yeah. we don't, we don't perpetuate the the mis the misconception that the, that the mainstream LDS Church allows people to remain members while practicing polygamy. That's right. That would be and they don't and they people. don't. Yep. And the only way you could you could do what you're talking about is if you never divulge the fact right. to your bishop, right, that you're practicing uh, polygamy. And and of course that that's a lie. Because yeah. you know you 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 would be obligated to 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 confess that, and then you would be immediately ex excommunicated right. from the church. Yeah. So people need to understand that you cannot be a mainstream member of the LDS church, a member of, of the mainstream LDS church, while practicing polygamy. Right. Yep. Exactly. And so even if people even if people do it, they're breaking the rule. Yep. They're they're not being honest. Yeah. 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 That's very true, and I think it's important. We that. You know, it's really interesting because I've had I, I, I'm I'm friends with Carolyn Pearson. And she wrote the book, The Ghost of Eternal Polygamy. And we're actually going to be delving into the topic of polygamy as well on the show. So it's important that I include all these voices. So this is what I do is I have people on my show that don't believe that Joseph Smith practiced polygamy. I have people on my show that believe that Joseph did practice polygamy. I have people who firmly believe that are members of the mainstream LDS church. Uh, I would be talking about like, uh, for instance, the Joseph Smith Foundation, um, my interactions with them. They firmly defend the practice and believe that it was of God. And then I have other people who uh, are more progressive oriented, like Carolyn, who uh, are bothered by the practice, right? So we have all these this uh, all these different perspectives on the on the practice that's going on in the conversation. Again, another example of Joseph and this restoration engaging topics and subjects that could be taboo, that's things you don't do. He was not afraid to go there, and that's what makes no, no, not at all so fascinating. Yeah, and and again, I think it's uh, very commendable that he took positions. You know, uh, he took very he took controversial positions, but but he took at least he took them and he and he stood by them. Yeah, I mean, with with polygamy, I'm not sure if that's a good example because he he kept that under wraps. But uh, that aside, he did take a lot of positions. You know, and 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 had the courage to 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 publicly take them and defend them. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, but, but what my point here is it's fascinating that even if you're a devout observing LDS member, you can be, you can practice polygamy in, in a, in a, in a correct way, mm -hmm. either via death, as we discussed, or via divorce. And it's, it's, it's one way to think about, you know, the, the correct way to think about it is it's, it's polygamy, it's eternal polygamy. Um, because you'll be married for eternity to more than one woman or more than one man. And so, you know, that's how it would work with a man. With a woman, again, since she cannot be sealed to two men at the same time while alive, uh, what, what would happen with her is if she was sealed to a husband and then they got divorced, a civil divorce, she would have to first get the ceiling canceled before she could be sealed to a second man. 
And again, it doesn't sound fair, but that's the way it is. And that's why it's usually women who are seeking the cancellation of the ceiling. You know, if you're a man, you're not as motivated to cancel a prior ceiling because you can just go ahead and get sealed again. I think you want to say something. <laughs> well, I was just thinking about it because my mom got to meet the the polygamous couple that uh, the, the fundamentalist couple that came by, you know, and I got some neighbors, Christian neighbors got to meet them too. And uh, my mom said, oh, I should have asked them. Oh, I should have asked them this question. And I said, what's that? Mom? She said, man, what do you do with the idea that you're sealed to somebody and they're a horrible person and you got to spend eternity with that person? Say, so how would they reconcile that? How could they, how do you deal with that? Like, you know, and that's just an interesting question. It's interesting the church goes and says things will be sorted out. Uh, perhaps that great sorting will happen in the eternities. We do not know. But but there is implications. What if you were married to a monster? Uh, you know, a, 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 he uh, maybe abused his wife and they're still sealed for eternity. You know, what are the implications of that? What does that look like? Oh, the worst the worst thing that could ever happen is you stay you stay married to them for eternity. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think what what most Mormons would say to that is, well, God is fair. Yeah. And again, like you just said, he'll work it out. You know, it's yeah. it's a bit of a cop out, but, um, you know, there's no other explanation, you know, that, you know, if there's a God and he's fair, he's not going to force you to stay married to a monster for eternity. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, the whole plan of salvation depends on a man and a woman who have been sealed to each other. Yep. Uh, you know, this is, this is where it starts to get, you know, complicated. I mean, not, not complicated, but it takes a while to, to explain, yeah. but you know, in order for the plan of salvation to work, it has to be a man and a woman married to, you know, sealed to each other, creating, procreating, creating eternally. And that only works if, if you're sealed to somebody. And so, somehow that has to come off you know you have to and that's why the church would hesitate to cancel um a ceiling if the person you know isn't getting sealed to somebody else mm, okay you know one of the most interesting things too, the genius of this whole uh, worldview is that joseph smith said something very interesting he said an eternity without progression is hell something along those lines and and this is the idea of, you know, and I, I actually kind of get that. Like I, Christian heaven seems like a very boring place. We're going to have all this sitting on clouds and everything. Uh, but in one sense, I agree that as a Christian, there's, it's not just about spending eternity, you know, in heaven, singing songs of praise to God, but it, there there has to be something else that it would happen. And so I think Joseph gives us a glimpse of uh, other possibilities of the eternities, which I find truly fascinating as an outsider, a man who is no dog in this fight. Now, before I let you go, was there anything else that you wanted to address on the topic of polygamy? Yeah, two quick points, because they're both interesting. So um, if she marries... A, a man so she's getting divorced she's sealed she's getting divorced and her new husband is not a member of the lds church okay she so, meaning she cannot be sealed to him in the temple she remains sealed to her first husband for eternity right 
And all of this raises the very interesting question about, about children. So if that woman has children with the new non-LDS husband, they are born uh, they are born what is called quote in the covenant, mm -hmm. meaning they are automatically sealed from birth to the first husband. Okay. For eternity, because when she gave birth to these children, she was sealed to the first husband. Okay. Um, and they automatically are sealed to him. They're born in the covenant. And therefore, they become his children. <laughs> the first husband's children for eternity, even though they probably have no relation whatsoever to him. Okay, yeah. And that's where, that's the last thing I wanted to point out. It doesn't seem rational. Okay. But again, they have to belong to somebody. You know, this whole idea of the plan of salvation requiring a man and a woman married to each other. And that, that, that really gets to the, to the bottom of why all this has to work the way it does. Okay. You know, somebody has to be sealed to somebody else. And then if they have children, those children belong to the couple that are sealed. Because uh, a civil marriage is is only valid on Earth, not in the eternities. Right. right. So I think it's a you know it's a very good example of what I what I mean by obscure Mormon doctrine. Yeah. It's it's core doctrine, in a way. But then you start digging deeper, and you and you take it further, and that's what I've tried to do in the book, and it leads you into these areas that you haven't really thought too much about, mm -hmm. and seem pretty hard you know that pretty, pretty complicated you know it's fascinating because i get the privilege as an evangelical to engage many voices of the restoration and get to have conversations that include deep mormon doctrine which most people don't get to, within the church of jesus christ latter-day saints don't have that privilege to have those conversations and it's just so cool to actually not only am i I've had the milk, but I'm also eating the meat, right? I'm getting deep in this. And I think this book is a fantastic resource, folks. Obscure Mormon Doctrine. It's a good uh, introduction to some of the more unique teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Some that are still being taught, some that maybe have faded away in the past, something maybe your parents believed and now that they kind of de-emphasize, whatever. It's still fascinating. So if you're looking for a book that kind of gives you a good introduction, and this is to my evangelical audience, good place to start. Latter-day Saints, good place to start. Uh, if you want to kind of get an intro into many various aspects of the unique and fantastically imaginative world that is Mormon doctrine. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us for today. Thanks, Steve, for having me. And uh, congratulations on the great success of your channel. Thank you. And good luck to you in the future. I'm sure it's it's just going to keep going gang gangbusters. Yep. And I want to thank all of you, those of you who are financially supporting the channel whether it be through PayPal or through Patreon or through our merch store, mormonbookreviews.com. Uh, I want to thank you for supporting the channel. And I want to thank everybody for the great feedback. I'd like for you to leave comments in the, and in, in let us know, what did you think about this episode? And this, uh, and maybe you can give us some ideas of obscure Mormon doctrine that you would like for us to cover that may or may not be in this book. You never know. Either way, folks, I just want to remind you, the most important thing is all the voices of the restoration will be heard here on Mormon Book Reviews.